seated this morning. We've been in a series talking about freedom, and last week Pastor Mike shared with us about moral freedom, and he really kicked off this series about dealing with how God doesn't want anything or anyone to control our lives. He also shared how recovery is really all about growing in Christ and being set free from anything that controls us. How many of you know that God wants you free from anything that controls you? That's what recovery is all about. That's what freedom is all about, being set free from anything that would want to control you because there's junk out there that wants to control you, that wants to manipulate you, that wants to hold you back, and God wants us to be set free. Amen? You see, the Word of God teaches us that in order, though, to walk in true freedom, we have to focus on the right things. But how do we do that whenever everything around us is screaming and begging for our attention? Doesn't it seem like that sometimes? That everything around you is just screaming and begging for your attention except for the right things? Apparently, none of you have ever been on a diet before. Your body doesn't go, celery, carrots, oh, give me more. Salad, yes, salad, please, I want salad. No, you say, I want candy. I want ice cream. I want the things that are deep fried, greasy, nasty, deep fried, southern fried. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's what your body says I want. That's what your body wants, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what it needs. And it's the same thing, that stuff that's screaming at you, that stuff that is just so loud in your face right now. Whatever is screaming at you, whatever's in your face right now, that thing is trying to distract you, to keep you from a place of freedom, to keep you from a place of walking in the freedom that God wants you to walk in. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to narrow the focus. Somebody say, narrow the focus. Write that down as your message title this morning. We're going to talk about narrowing the focus so we can walk in freedom. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges and the sixth chapter. <coughs> Here in the book of Judges, we see this is before the, the time of the kings. You see, there were other nations that had kings, but Israel, or God's chosen people, they didn't have kings uh, ruling them at this time, and God really didn't want them to have kings. He wanted to be their king. He wanted to be the one that they followed, that they loved, and they served him simply because they loved him, and they obeyed him simply because they loved him. But that's not the way things were going, so God had to appoint judges at different times to judge Israel because here's what ha would happen. Israel would enjoy a season of peace, and they'd be like, oh, I love God, oh, I love God. We're not going to worship false idols. And then all of a sudden, oh, false idol. Oh. And then they would go back to worshiping false idols. And then you know what would start happening? They would say, oh, everything looks so much better over here. Oh, every everybody over here looks so much happier. They don't have to follow all these rules and things like we do. So, hmm, instead of doing that, let's go over here and let's worship these idols. And so they began to do what the pagans would do. But then what did they do? They removed themselves under that protection of God. And then they opened themselves up to all this junk that began to happen. Every time Israel walked away from God, they began to get in uh, slavery, captivity, bondage, oppression, all of these other things that would happen when they stepped out from under that authority that God had placed in their lives to protect them because he loved them, but he wanted them to choose him. But what was happening here in the book of Judges in the sixth chapter 
is the Israelites had just got through enjoying a 40-year peace. It was a nice time. But then they started worshiping false idols, so the same process, the same cycle began to get repeated. And now the Israelites find themselves oppressed by the Midianites and the Amalekites. And those two groups of people were oppressing the Israelites by military force. There was more of them than there was in the army of Israel. And they were oppressing them by fear, by intimidation, and they were surrounding them on all sides, ready to make their move. You know, sometimes that's how the devil works. Sometimes he'll just surround you with junk. Nothing's really going on in your life as big as it appears. You're just surrounded with all this stuff, and he has you intimidated and scared. It's not that he's directly attacking you. It's just that he's around your house. It's just that it appears like everything's about to fall apart and just go down the drain, and nothing's working out, and so therefore, everything around me just causes me to just shut down. And this is where we find a man named Gideon in Judges chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Esbarite, um, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in a wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now normally whenever you would go and thresh wheat, you would do it on what was called a threshing floor, which was in a high place where the wind would come and it would blow. So whenever they would sit there and beat that stuff, that it would separate the shaft from the grain or the things that they didn't want and the wind would carry it away because it was considerably lighter. But here we find Gideon doing this in a wine press, which was normally a pit in the ground. He is in the ground in this pit doing something because he's afraid. He's scared because he's oppressed, because he's intimidated, because he's surrounded by the enemy. Here in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty men of valor. Now, when we think about mighty men of valor, and we think about, you know, William Wallace from Braveheart, right? Yeah. For Scotland, right? Freedom! We think about guys uh, like Maximus and Gladiator. We think about these mighty men of valor. We think about these tough guys, these guys who will just do valiant things. We don't think about a guy hiding in a hole with a broom just sitting there hitting a bunch of wheat. But yet that's what the angel of the Lord came and said. said, hey, you mighty men of valor. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then... Why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Isn't that exactly how you and I operate? Isn't that exactly how we work? Because God comes to you, and he'll use a preacher, he'll use something you read, he'll use something you've heard, and he'll be trying to communicate to you the fact that he loves you, that you're special, that he desires you, the fact that he's forgiven you of your past. But the first thing we do when God reminds us of who we really are is we go, but God, if, if that's the truth, then why is all this going on? I don't know about all that. And then what we do? The very first thing we do is we get mad at God and we go, well, God said, you mighty men of valor. He says, well, why, why is all this stuff? Why is all the miracles I done heard about? I just called you a mighty man of valor. I just told you who you are. And the first thing you want to do to me is gripe. That's the same thing we do to God, folks. God's trying to show us who we are and we want to show him why we aren't that. 
We want to show him why we're bound. We want to show him that we're oppressed. Do you think God is unaware that Gideon's oppressed by the Midianites at this time? Oh, I didn't know that. Sorry, geez. But God comes to him and says, Oh, you mighty man of valor. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and he said, Go in this might of yours. I love God. Don't you love God? It's kind of why we're here today. God didn't even address Gideon's concern. He didn't even address it. He didn't even address his griping and his whining. He didn't even say, well, Gideon, come here, sit in my lap and let me help you understand all this. No, he said, go in the strength that you have. So whatever you've got is good enough. He said, but listen, go in your strength and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? We're not here to talk about Midianites. We're not here to talk about uh, the fact that you're uh, doing something uh, here in this hole that you should be doing somewhere else because you're afraid. We're not even talking about the fact that the miracles aren't there that you heard about your father saying and their forefathers saying. We're not even here to discuss that. God didn't even spend time addressing that. God goes immediately back to purpose. He goes immediately back to reminding Gideon of the task at hand. And he says, listen, here, Gideon, go in the strength you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hand, am I not sending you? Verse 15, so he said to him, O Lord, here's what Gideon did, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Not only is my family the sorriest family in town, but I'm the sorriest one in the sorriest family in town. Isn't that how we do sometimes? Isn't that how we talk to God? Here he is trying to tell us who we are. Here he is trying to tell us, listen, I've got something great for you to do. I want you to be free. I want not only you to be free, but the entire nation. And you're more concerned about yourself than the freedom of an entire nation. That's how we are. That's how I get whenever I get in my little pity parties. Whenever I feel like everything in my life is going wrong and I'm the only one out there that anything bad is happening to and everybody else is just skipping and holding hands. Shiny, happy people holding hands. Looks like everybody else is doing that. And here I am miserable. And God's saying, for me to go do something? What? I don't think so, God. And then he says, no, 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 no. Listen, I'm going to be with you. You're not going to have to do this just all on your own. I'm going to be with you. But... You don't understand, I'm, look at, I'm the weakest, I'm in the weakest family here, and, and I'm the weakest guy in the weakest family. We're not the guys that you're going to recruit for the Olympics here. We're the weak guys. We, you, you don't want a guy like me. And God says, no. You see, I'm, I'm bigger than that. He said, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man, or together. He's saying, you're going to do this together. You're going to do this in unity. You've got to understand here, that Gideon is scared to death. And God is reminding him of who he is. And when you're oppressed, folks, it always seems like you're in that place of isolation. You see, Gideon's in this place all by himself of isolation. He's here in this wine press. And he's oppressed in the wine press. You ever feel like you're oppressed in the wine press? You're not where you should be. Not doing what you should be doing in that place. And you're oppressed. And you're afraid. And you're isolated. And then God wants to come to you to lead you out of that. And lead not only you into freedom, but lead others around you into freedom. But he's asking you to get out of the wine press. He's asking you to get out of your place of fear. 
He's asking you to get out of your place of isolation. You see, here's the deal. For us to walk in freedom, we've got to separate fact from, from fiction. We've got to do it. For us to walk in freedom, we've got to separate fact from fiction. We've got to separate what the enemy would try to tell us versus what God said. We've got to make a decision here. Because fiction is the thing that the enemy wants you to believe about your circumstance and about your situation. He wants you to believe that it's hopeless. He wants you to believe that, you know what, you really are as much of a nutcase as your family and friends say you are. He wants you to believe that there is no hope. He wants you to believe that there's no way you're going to dig out of that financial pit that you've dug yourself in. He wants you to believe that there's no way to save your marriage. He wants you to believe that there's no way your kids are ever going to come back and live and serve God. He wants you to believe there's no way you're ever going to be free from that addiction or that habit that's controlling your life. He wants you to believe that you're trapped, that you're isolated, that you're depressed, that nobody cares about you, that you need to go search for answers, and you need to go try to find some quick fix to get you out of this uh, pit that you're in, and, and you're looking for a pill, you're looking for a cure. You're looking for food. You're looking for anything to satisfy you to make you feel like things are going somewhat better, at least to ease the pain. And you get trapped. That's the fiction. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. But the fact is that God has come to you and he said, no, I want you to be free. I want you to walk in freedom. I want you to walk in victory over this junk that's been controlling your life and keeping you bound. So you've got to separate that. You've got to separate fact from fiction. You've got to separate what the enemy wants you to think about yourself and your situation versus what does God say. Bottom line is what did God say? We've been talking about that a lot here. Bottom line is what did God say? You see, when you're oppressed, you begin to believe the lies that the enemy wants you to believe. And here's the things that he wants you to believe these, these two things right here. You can write this down because I'm sure you've heard these. Maybe you heard them this morning. You will never and you will always. Those are two of the biggest lies that the enemy wants you to buy into. You will never and you will always. Well, I guess I'll never really be happy. I guess I'll always be depressed. I guess I'll never be free from really worrying and, and, and living in fear all the time and always nervous. And I guess I'll always have to deal with this. So I just try to deal with it. I will never do this. And I guess I'm always going to have to do this. Those are the two biggest lies that the enemy wants you to believe. So you've got to separate fact from fiction here. You've got to separate these two and say, okay, what did God say? And what do I choose to listen to? What do I choose to believe? How do I choose to view myself in the mirror? Because you're always going to be bound as long as you believe the lie. I said you're always going to be bound as long as you believe the lie. Always. You're always going to be bound as long as you believe the lie that the enemy wants you to believe. That's what it's there for. It's there to try to keep you stuck. The enemy wants you stuck. He wants you to feel isolated, trapped, like there's no hope. 
And you're always going to be bound as long as you keep believing that lie. But see, God showed Gideon who he was by calling him a mighty man of valor. But sometimes we don't see ourselves free. We don't really see what God is calling us. We don't really see what God is saying to us because we haven't narrowed our focus of how we see ourselves. We're listening to too many voices. We're listening to too many things. There's too much input going on, and we're listening to all of the junk that is just being yelled and screaming at us. We haven't narrowed our focus. You see, because what, what lies? Ask yourself this morning, what lies? Are you believing that are keeping you bound? What are you focusing on? What are you focused on here? You see, a lot of us will even say things like this. Well, I, you know, I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because my, my dad struggled with this. Or my mom struggled with this. And so we believe the lie that we have to also. We believe the lie that we have to be bound to that also. Well, you know, it's just in our family. We're just naturally angry people in our family. My dad just, you know, he stormed around the house angry. His, my grandpa, you should have seen him, especially when he got liquored up, you know. I mean, we say things like that, and then we just expect that we're supposed to have to fall in that same line too because, well, you know, I, I know a lot of times that people always associate redheads with, like, short tempers. And, like, all my life I heard all the time my hair was a lot brighter and redder when I was a kid. It's kind of getting brown and gray now especially you know anyways i'm not going there <clears throat> my wife sometimes will just be like sitting there like looking at me like in the van and she'll be just like saying oh i see a gray hair and i'm like oh okay she goes wow what did you just do i'll be thinking she's like i'll be in sweet and stuff she's yanking hairs out of my head that's just weird women don't do that to your husbands that just that hurts just get hairs yanked out of my head all the time what was i even saying i don't even remember now <laughs> Yeah, I was a redhead. Thank you. I was a redhead growing up, and they always associate that with what? A temper. That's always associated with... So, so people would always tell me all the time, oh, redheads, I have a, you know, I have a temper. Oh, and, you know, it's just, it's in your blood. It's in your Irish blood. You just, you know, you got a temper, you know, you're just angry. I don't have to buy into that. You see, the more I listen to that, the more I get to believe that. Because it's going to get said, and those things are going to get said about you. Oh, you know what? Well, you blew it back whenever you were a teenager. You remember whenever you did all that stuff, and you, <laughs> God just really can't do anything with you. You know, and you hear this stuff all the time, over and over again. You constantly see people that remind you of your past and who you used to be, and you just go, oh, yeah, that's right. And you buy the lie. You buy into it all over again, and it just starts all over again. You just begin to believe this is the way it's got to be. You believe the lie of you will never or you will always. You see, here's the thing, folks. God told Gideon that he was a mighty man of valor. And in doing so, he was trying to get Gideon to narrow his focus. But Gideon, he didn't get the message at first, okay? He didn't get the message at first. Check this out in Judges chapter 7. He tells him, he says, okay, Gideon, listen up. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to get an army together and go fight the Midianites. And I'm going to tell you how you're going to do it. But I want you to go get some people together. So here goes Gideon out there campaigning. We're going to go whoop the Midianites. Who wants to come and join me? Yeah! Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go whoop some Midianites. Let's get together. Let's do this thing, right? And he gets together 32,000 men. Pretty good campaigning. The Midianites had 135,000 though. 
And here Gideon goes out and grabs 32,000 guys. That sounds great, but not compared to 135,000. And God said, Gideon, good job. Way to go out there and get some folks. But that's too many. What? 32,000 is too many to fight 135,000? God, are you kidding me? I didn't say 132,000. I said 32. 135, 32. God. I don't want to send them home. He said, send them home. So he goes, okay, here we go. He said, all right, guys, if you're scared, go home to mama. If you're scared, uh, God, we got to narrow this thing down. And so guess what happens? You think maybe... 10 or 12 men left, just a few of them. 22,000 left. He said, are you scared? Are you scared, men? If you're scared, go home. 22,000 men all together, just run home. What? He said, oh yeah, by the way, we're not going to fight with swords and bows and arrows. We're going to bring some trumpets. And we're going to bring some, some pots. And we're going to bring some sticks that we're going to light on fire, but we're going to put the pot over the stick, and we're going to smash them. And then we're going to hold them up high. Who wants to join my army? Eh? Eh? But God's on our side. Yeah, but sticks and pots and horns. That's like what my kids play with. Really? Really? 135,000 guys, you're narrowing this down. And then here's what happened. In Judges 7, verse 4, the Lord said, there's still too many. (laughs) What? There's only 10,000 left. There's still too many. Are you kidding me, God? He said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take them down to the water, and I'm going to sift them for you there. I'll do it. Don't worry, I'll sift through the people. That's what God always does. God always sifts through, and he'll always remove the things that don't need to be there. That's what God does. He's sifting. He said, I'm going to do the sifting. He said, if I say this one's going to go with you, then he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, then he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. And then the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down and drink. So there were those guys who knelt down, would drink the water. Then there were those who just, he said, separate those guys. Probably a good idea. He said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to separate those guys from one another. Now, verse 5. So he brought the people down to the water. Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. Then the Lord God said, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, everyone into their place. What? You mean you're taking my 10,000 guys and now we're down to 300? There were only 300 wackos who got down on their hands and knees to drink water like a dog? What? What's going on here? You see, God is separating. God was narrowing the focus. And with those 300 men, they surrounded the Midianites' camp late at night. And whenever Gideon gave the signal, they busted the pots and they sounded the trumpets. And what happened was the Midianites began to look all around 
And you've got to understand that with 135,000 people, not everybody knew everybody. You know, there's people in this room that don't know each other, right? Just imagine if we were a church of 135,000, how would you get to know people then, right? It'd be harder. You wouldn't walk in and go, hey, Bob, you could probably just holler out Mike and you would probably get lucky. You could probably do that right now and get lucky. (laughs) But, you know, what was going on was whenever they woke up from their sleep, all of a sudden they rushed to see what was going on because they're hearing all of this commotion. They're hearing these pots break. They're seeing these flames up in the air and they begin to run and they begin to see what was going on. And then they begin to see fighting going on. But guess what? There were no Israelites fighting. It was the Midianites fighting each other in the camp because it was nighttime. They were confused. All they heard was all these trumpets and people shouting, For the sword of the Lord and of Gideon! What are they doing? This is like the weirdest thing ever, but they all killed each other. You know, it's like they're out there fighting. (laughs) No, Uncle Pete, it's me! (laughs) They're all fighting each other and they all died by their own sword. They brought their own demise there, 135,000 guys. Only God could have done that. Only God could have done that, 300 guys. But here's the thing. Gideon had to narrow the focus. He had to narrow from 32,000 men down to 300. He had to narrow the focus to bring about the victory. But what was the key to his victory? Think about this. The key to Gideon's victory was obedience because obedience in every step is going to bring you freedom obedience in every step is going to bring you freedom it's obedience because what obedience shows is it shows trust it shows okay god i may not understand what this step is requiring but i trust you so therefore i'm going to obey you even though what i think you're asking me to do and requiring me to do it doesn't make sense right now but i'm going to do it anyways because i obey you because I trust you. And obedience in each step leads you to freedom. Here's the thing that we got to get out of our heads as Christians. The thing that we got to get completely out of our head is that God does not lead you in leaps. He leads you in steps. God leads in steps, not leaps. Now, the step that he may be leading you into may be a leap of faith for you. But God doesn't just say, Abram, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Boom! Whoa! Where did all these kids come from? This is insane! He didn't say, David, I'm going to make you the king over Israel. Boom! The next thing, he's sitting on a throne. What happened here? This is awesome! That's not how God works. God leads in steps. First, you're going to go out and you're going to kill a bear. You're going to kill some, uh, some animals that are trying to take over these sheep and you proved yourself faithful. So then you're going to get anointed. But don't worry, you're not going to sit in the chair yet. There's still a giant to slay. Oh, and then the king is going to chase you around for a while because he's going to want to kill you. But don't worry, I'm going to protect you. There's still going to be some battles you've got to go through. But then one day you're going to be sitting on that throne and then you can look back and you can see through every step how God was there with you. That's how God leads. He leads in steps and not leaps. So you've got to understand that whenever you're walking in freedom. Whenever you're walking in freedom, you've got to be obedient in the step he's telling you right now. That means what God is telling you to do right now, you best be doing it. 
You need to be doing what he's telling you right now. Somebody say, right now. Say it like you're in church. Right now. Right now. Woo, yeah. God leads you in steps. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Obedience in every step is going to lead you to freedom. You see, here's the thing, though, that you got to catch. Obedience in Gideon's steps did not only bring freedom for him, it brought freedom for an entire nation. That means that somebody else can benefit from me walking in obedience to God. That was creepy. That means that others can benefit from me walking in obedience to God. I said others can benefit from me walking in obedience to God. How crazy is this? This isn't just about me. God's got a kingdom focus. He's got a kingdom agenda. He doesn't just see just the one little thing I'm going through. He sees all the hurt. He sees all the pain. And he knows that if he can get us to obey him and trust him and focus on the right step, then he's going to bring about freedom in our lives and it's going to be infectious because our obedience is going to affect others as we walk in that freedom that he wants us to begins to catch on and others begin to pick up on it because we're walking in freedom we're able to minister to others we're able to love on others i can love on people more than i could before because i'm walking in a little bit more freedom than i was before i can be a little bolder than i was before because i'm a little bit freer than i was before I can do things for God and step out in faith and do things for others that I would have never done before because guess what? I'm walking in a little bit more freedom than I was before. Does that make sense? And and all of that comes from narrowing the focus, from being intentional, narrowing that focus. You see, Gideon lost a lot of men. A lot. Not fair. 32,000 down to 300. And let me tell you, sometimes obedience seems like you're losing. Oh, y'all are ready to go home or something. I don't know what happened there. Hang on. What did the pastor just say? Yeah, I said sometimes obedience to everyone else is going to look like you're losing. Sometimes when you obey God, you look like an idiot. What do you mean get down on my hands and knees and you go pick those guys? What do you mean smash some pots? What are you talking about, God? Sometimes to everyone else it doesn't look like success. Sometimes it looks like you're losing. And sometimes whenever you're walking in God's purpose and His plan, it will appear to others like you are losing. It's just how it works. It will appear to others like you're losing, but here's the crazy part. You ready for this? The world has its own view of success. It has its own view of success in church. It has its own view of success of money, of our finances, our jobs. It has its own view of success in a lot of different arenas. Corporate world, the different views of success. But guess what God's view of success is? It's obedience. Because you can't measure, you can't measure the success of obedience. Mm, Say it slow so I can say it some more. I said you can't measure the success of obedience. That's where some people miss it. Because it looks like they're losing. It looks like things aren't going that great in their lives. 
it looks like things are just falling apart or it looks like God is sifting all around them. It looks like there's just a big shaking and a big sifting. And a lot of people get lost in the shift. A lot of people get lost in the sift. A lot of people get lost in the shaking. A lot of people give up because God's view of success and our view of success is not the same thing. He's got a plan. And whenever it's all said and done, you can look back and see how he brought you through all that. But when you're in the big middle of the losing, it doesn't look like you're going anywhere. Anybody in this place know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it looks like things are falling apart and you want to get discouraged, you want to get distracted. But that's just trying to broaden your focus and get you off of that narrow focus. You see, sometimes it seems like you're actually losing, but you're not. God's setting you up. I said, God is setting you up. God is setting you up, Gideon. You don't know it. It looked like, man, he, Gideon probably thought he was the man. I done got 32,000 people. What? And now all of a sudden, thank you for that one laugh. Now all of a sudden, 32,000 people turns into 300, and Gideon's not feeling like as much of a success as he was before we did the you scared and drink your water stuff. Before all that happened, Gideon was feeling like a big dog. I got 32,000 men. Yeah, God could probably do this. But no, God says, I'm not going to do it with 32,000. I'm going to do it with 300. Everybody else looks at you like you're an idiot, like you're destined to die, like you're destined to fail, like you're doomed. Nope when you don't get discouraged that's when you got to obey God in the step that you're in until he tells you the next step you got to obey God in the step you're in until he tells you the next step narrowing the focus may not look successful in the eyes of others but you cannot measure the success of obedience there's no ruler no man can say oh that guy or that girl they're successful that businessman's successful that pastor's successful that woman is successful that school teacher is successful. That entrepreneur is successful. You, you can't measure obedience like you can measure some other things that the world wants to put a measuring stick on you. You, you just can't, it doesn't work that way. Because you drive a certain car, you live in a certain neighborhood, it's not how it works with God. See, actually, sometimes it looks like you're losing. And God's saying, no, I'm just narrowing the focus, trying to get you to narrow your focus. Is this helping anybody this morning? You see, Gideon's obedience set a nation free, and your obedience will give others hope. It will break cycles that are repeated in your family, and it's going to draw a line in the sand. And church, this morning, I believe God's calling us to draw a line in the sand. I believe that he's calling us to truly walk in freedom. I believe that Gideon had to see himself like God saw him as a mighty man of valor and that you and I have to narrow our focus of what everybody else is saying and what everybody else wants to tell you and how things should be and shouldn't be and how big of a failure that you are and how you've lived a life full of regret and it's time to quit listening to the junk. It's time to quit listening to the noise. It's time to quit looking at all the distractions and it's time to narrow our focus and and obey and trust in what God said right now. Amen? Come on, church. That's what God wants us to do, to narrow the focus. You see, don't be afraid of what you'll lose. Don't be afraid of what the cost will be because you cannot measure that success of obedience 
Others may look at you and they may say what you have lost. They may criticize you because of decisions that they do not understand. But remind yourself. Pick yourself up and remind yourself. I'm narrowing my focus. I'm narrowing my focus by being obedient to God in this step. Narrow your focus and be obedient to God in this step. Because that's all you can do. Because you ain't God. God's the one that brings the results. You're the one that obeys Him and trusts Him. Right here. Right now. Today. What He's telling you. And here's how this stuff works. In the book of John, in the 8th chapter, in the 36th verse. Would you guys bring that up on the screen for me? If the Son sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. You see, if the Son does it, if He's the one that sets you free, He's the one that sets you free, He's the one that brings the increase, He's the one that brings about the results, then what is my job? My job is to be obedient right now in this step. And He's setting me free. I'm continually walking out my freedom. I'm continually walking out my victory. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Maybe you say, Pastor Derek, I need to narrow my focus today. I need to narrow my focus on what God said because I've been listening too much to what others say. I've been listening too much to the junk, to the lies, to the negativity to the gossip, to the slander, to the hurt, to the pain, to the shame, to the regrets. I've been listening too much to that. I I need to shut it off. I need to shut it off, and I am ready to be obedient to God right here, right now, in this step, to do what He's telling me to do right here, right now. Not going to do, not could have done, not should have done, Not I'm always going to do this or I'm never going to be able to do that. No, no, no. I'm narrowing my focus this morning on him. If you say, yeah, Pastor Derek, that's me. I want to narrow my focus today. I just want you to just let me know that you're here because I'm going to be praying for you. Just raise up your hand and put it right back down. Hands up all over this room. I'm ready to narrow my focus. I need to narrow my focus. Too many things are screaming at me. I see that hand. Put them right back down. I see them all over this room. Anybody else? Yep, put it back down. See you there in the back. Anybody else? See that hand? Put it down. It's just you just simply acknowledging to God. That's all we're doing here. We're just acknowledging to God, saying, yep, I need to narrow my focus. I'm ready to just narrow this thing down because I've been listening to too much junk, and I'm ready to be obedient in this step, whatever he's calling you to do. Anybody else in this place, just let me know you're here. Say, Pastor, include me in your prayer. I see those hands. Put them down. You can put them right back down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Church, would you say this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, I'm ready to narrow the focus. And only hear what you want me to hear. And to obey what you tell me to do. I commit myself today to focusing on what you say about me and not what others may say what my past is it's not going to define me anymore 
Say this with me, church. Say, I declare that I am going to walk in freedom. Today. No, 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 no. That's too quiet. Say it like you mean it. Say, I'm going to walk in freedom today. Oh, you got to mean it. That's half of you meant it. I'm going to walk in freedom today. Not tomorrow. Not yesterday. Not next week. Today. Church, say this with me. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. If you're free this morning, I want you to stand with me. If you would, just bow your head just for another second. If there's anybody in this place that says, I need Jesus in my life, I've never committed my life to him, I've never given my heart to him, or maybe you have at one point in your life, but you're saying, I need to do it because I didn't know if I meant it, or maybe if I did mean it, I've walked away from it, I just want to make a fresh commitment. Anybody in this place today say, I'm ready to commit to Jesus Christ, make him my Lord and Savior. Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. Put it back down. I see those hands. Anybody else in this place? There's no shame in this. That's what we're here to do. I see those hands. Hands all over this room. Say, Jesus, I welcome you into my heart to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I trust you with all of my life. And from this day forward, I'm going to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you just said that prayer, I want...